Hey guys, what's going on? This is Seth Williams, and if there is anything that has shocked and surprised me over the past decade, it's the unmistakable and mostly overlooked opportunity there is in buying and selling land. There is a lot of money to be made in this business. If you want to learn literally everything we know about how to start, run, and grow a super profitable land business, you need to check out the Land Investing Masterclass we offer in the RE Tipster class. The RE Tipster Club is a full-blown membership site that offers the most comprehensive and up-to-date educational course on how to make a killing as a land investor. You'll also get access to our members-only forum where you can learn from others in the community. You can also attend our monthly office hours calls where you can talk directly with me and Jaron about what's going on in your land investing business. We'll help you put the pieces together, answer questions, and get through any obstacles that might be standing in your way. We've helped dozens and dozens of of land investors claim their financial freedom through the power of this exact business that we teach in the RE Tipster Club. If you want to check it out, head over to retipster.club and you can find everything you need to know right there. Again, that's retipster.club. So with that, let's jump into today's interview. From retipster.com, this is the RE Tipster Podcast. Hey everybody, what's up? This is Seth Williams and Jaron Barnes, and you're listening to the RE Tipster Podcast. So today, we're not interviewing anybody. Uh, we're just going to sit back and talk about an interesting topic. It's really just the whole question of how important is it to be rich? Like, do you really need to become a millionaire from real estate or whatever your business of choice happens to be? Like, how much does this really matter in the grand scheme of things? Uh, I think everybody sort of has their own, their number at which, okay, that's enough. Like now I can stop or now I've made it. But I, don't know, I, I think it's important to question some of those assumptions sometimes. Because a lot of times we, we spend our lives chasing after goals that like we haven't actually thought through that much. Or maybe like, you know, there is a reason for why we're doing that, but like, there may be other more important reasons that argue otherwise that we haven't thought a whole lot about. So anyway, we just kind of wanted to jam a little bit and go back and forth about this idea of how important is money and how much do you really need in order to be considered a success and how do you define success in the first place? So I love that you call this a jam because that's totally what it is. It's just like, we're just getting together. And we're just riffing, man. Yeah, I love it. There is actually a parable of the fisherman and the businessman. You know, maybe you've heard this before, but I, I thought it was an interesting thing for us to read here because it's highly relevant to this discussion. What do you think, Jaren? Should I read it? Yeah, man. Story time with Seth Williams. This is great. It's not too long. Hopefully you can you can deal with me. <laughs> Everybody just decided to hit X2 yeah, on their seriously. audio device. <laughs> yeah. Did you know the uh, the Audible app? I think you can listen to it at 3.5x or some ridiculously fast speed. <laughs> You'd have to train your ear for that. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it's 3.5, but it was I was trying to do it with you the day and it was nuts. Like I couldn't understand anything that was being said. <laughs> but I don't know. I guess there's a time and a place. Okay, so here it goes. There once was a businessman who was sitting by the beach in a small Brazilian village. As he sat, he saw a Brazilian fisherman rowing a small boat toward the shore, having caught quite a few big fish. The businessman was impressed and asked the fisherman, How long does it take you to catch so many fish? 
Their fisherman replied, oh, just a, a short while. Then why don't you stay longer at sea and catch even more? The businessman was astonished. This is enough to feed my whole family, the fisherman said. The businessman then asked, so what do you do for the rest of the day? And the fisherman replied, well, I usually wake up early in the morning, go out to sea to catch a few fish, and then go back and play with my kids. In the afternoon, I take a nap with my wife, and evening comes. I join my buddies in the village for a drink. We play guitar and sing and dance throughout the night. The businessman offered a suggestion to the fisherman. Well, I am a PhD in business management. I could help you to become a more successful person. From now on, you should spend more time at sea and try to catch as many fish as possible. When you've saved enough money, you can buy a bigger boat and catch even more fish. Soon you'll be able to afford to buy more boats, set up your own company, your own production plant for canned food and distribution network. By then, you'll have moved out of this village to Sao Paulo, where you can set up a headquarter to manage your other branches. And the fisherman continued, and after that? And the businessman laughed heartily. <laughs> well, after that, you can live like a king in the comfort of your own house. And when the time is right, you can go public and float your shares in the stock exchange, and you'll be rich. And the fisherman asked, and after that? The businessman says, after that, you can finally retire. You can move to a house by the fishing village, wake up early in the morning, catch a few fish, and then return home to play with your kids, have a nice afternoon nap with your wife, and when evening comes, you can join your buddies for a drink, play the guitar, sing and dance throughout the night. And the fisherman was puzzled. Isn't that what I'm doing right now, he thought? Wow. I gotta tell you, I think you found a new career, sir. That was very good. So there's a lot to unpack with that story. I think it's, I think I read it in a book somewhere, but it's one of the most profound stories that I've, little parables that I've read. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, the story kind of just says it all. I mean, I don't know what, what else there is to unpack after that, but just this whole idea of what really makes you happy? Like, what is it you want out of life? What's going to make you feel as though, okay, I've made it. I've done what I was born to do. And like, how important is masses of wealth to doing that. I don't know. It's a tough thing. Cause I, I mean, I totally understand the draw to wanting to make money. I mean, I, why else would I be a real estate investor if I didn't understand that? You know, I mean, that's a huge driver behind a lot of stuff that I do, but like, it's not just about that. I think I've figured this out more and more. I think earlier on in my life, it was kind of just like make money, make money, make money, like somehow figure out how to make money. I don't care what kind of business it is. As long as it's not hurting people, just make money. And kind of as I've gotten further in life, though, I maybe it's wisdom somehow I've attained or something, but just realizing that if the goal is like happiness or fulfillment, like money is not necessarily the thing that's going to make that possible. I, I think it definitely makes life easier in some respects, but like it also makes life harder too. Yeah. I would give a little pushback there because I've seen studies. I think you're right to a point. But I've seen some studies that say that the threshold of income that produces the ability to like have a euphoric sense of fulfillment or you've arrived in life or you're okay is about 70000 per year. I think it does depend on what country you're in. But yeah, I think that's right for the US for the most part. For the US, yes. And I think that there's something to that as well, right? Like. I think that you have to make at least some kind of money, like a certain standard of money to 
to not be worrying and not be in fear because knowing, you know, where my, my wife's come from and her backstory, there is a point where poverty just sucks. Like it's just constant scrounging just to, to survive. And I, I do think that there is that suit spot where it's like, okay, there is a point where it's enough, but it's hard to like identify that once you're there because like, well, if I had just a little bit more, if I just had a little bit more and then your 70,000 becomes 100,000 and 150,000 and 250,000. And then, oh, I, I, as long as I'm a millionaire, I'll, I'll finally get there. And then when you're a millionaire, you're like, ah, I just need to get 10 million. If I got 10 million, I'd be good. And, you know, you're on this hamster wheel that continues to grow and grow. Why do you think people keep, because I, I think it's a very common thing. I, I know some very entrepreneurial people, people who do not by any means need to continue working. Like it's just totally unnecessary. Like they have more money than they'll ever know how to spend, but they keep going for some reason. Like why? Is it because it's fun? It's like a game to them? Like it's just, that's how they entertain themselves or I don't know. What, what do you think's going on there? Yeah, man. I, I think it depends on the person for sure. We're way over generalizing <laughs> For <here>. sure. But, <laughs> but I think that if you've been an entrepreneur your whole life, like I think of Gary Vaynerchuk, like the guy is made for business. The guy doesn't have to work. He, he could totally go read books all day, hang out with his family, but he loves it. It's the game for him, you know, and that's his version of catching a few fish every day, right? For me, I don't know if I'm there, to be honest. You know, I, I have to do things that, and a lot of it that I don't really necessarily want to do because I'm kind of in that point where I'm like trying to reach a certain threshold of income every month and set up systems. Like I'm trying to generate cash to buy cash flow assets so that whether I'm in a beach in Belize hanging out with our friend, uh, Will Mitchell or, or, you know, maybe hanging out with Nathan in the Azores. You know, I, I have to build those things up first. That's where I'm at in my evolution of, of entrepreneurship. But for me, when I'm at a point where I don't have to worry about money anymore, I promise you my day is going to look totally different. Like I'm going to be reading a whole lot more, a lot more. Like I probably would still do some version of blogging or podcasting or, or giving back. Cause I, again, I feel like, uh, like I said in the interview with you, you know, I feel like this medium is the best for impact. And that's something that's really important to me. But I definitely would not be taking motivated seller calls. You, I will bet you money. That will not be <laughs> happening. <laughs> I know, man. I, I think about that too. Like, I don't know. If I woke up tomorrow with like enough passive real estate to just like dump millions into my bank account every month, like way more money than I could ever spend, definitely I would not be the fire would not be burning quite as hot, I guess, put it that way. But I'd probably shift my attention towards like giving a bunch of money away because that's a lot of fun when you can like really make a big difference with a, a good mission or organization that's uh, trying to do things and all they need is the money. I'm not the kind who's just going to like bust my butt until the day I die. Like if I'm able to, you know, make it to a certain point, like I'm going to be Basically, like I'll be done doing anything for the purpose of making money. It'll be more for the purpose of like enjoyment or helping others. Or having a higher mission. Yeah. So let's explore that a little bit, man. Because I mean, you said even in your example just a minute ago, you said if I had cash flow that was making me millions and millions of dollars a month, that's when you would shift gears. But the big thesis of today's conversation is do you need millions and millions to start running an organization that gives money away and stuff like that? Like, when do you know, 
okay, dude, enough's enough. I've made enough. I'm good. It's time for me to like get off the hamster wheel, you know? Yeah. There is a, <laughs> I don't know why this is coming to mind right now. It is relevant, but <laughs> so have you ever seen the show Breaking Bad? I've seen some episodes. Yeah. My mom and my uh, stepdad were like totally obsessed with that show. Yeah. So there is a season two, episode one. The episode is called 737. And the reason it's called that is because Walter White, the main character who, through a series of unfortunate events, ended up in the drug business manufacturing and trying to sell meth. If you haven't seen the show, this guy is a high school science teacher, respectable guy, like not the kind of person you would ever think would somehow end up, you know, uh, making and selling drugs, but he is a trained chemist and he happens to be able to make the highest quality meth anybody has ever seen. He realizes he has this skill and it was all motivated by the fact that he was diagnosed with lung cancer and he didn't have a lot of money and he needs to make money fast somehow so that his family's taken care of and kids can go to college and all this stuff. And in this episode, 737, he arrives on this number. He needs $737,000 to afford to do everything that he wants his family to be able to have when he's gone, like pay for college, you know, pay off their house, all this stuff. So like that is his number. And, uh, you know, as you can imagine, the show goes on for five total seasons and he gets to that number through a lot of, you know, very difficult, you know, horrible things that he has to do. And then he just keeps going. Cause he realizes like, I'm good at this. Like, this is it's kind of fun. And, and he sort of enjoys the power and the pride and the manipulation. And, you know, I think in the show, he ends up making like $80 million or something like that, but it makes sense in a way. Like if you sacrifice everything that you have to sacrifice and put the time and effort into learning how to make money, like it's not an easy road for most people. Like, Money is kind of hard to make. I think some people are blessed with really good salesmanship skills and it comes fairly easy to them, but most people aren't that lucky. They have to really, like for me, it has been anything but easy to figure out how to make money in life. And when you finally figure out something that works, it's like, you kind of want to squeeze everything you can out of that because it's like, hey, this was a lot of work to get here. And, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to realize like, you know, on this earth anyway, money, it gives you power in certain ways. I mean, there's opportunities you would never otherwise have and things you can do. And yeah, it's, uh, I think it's probably fairly easy for most people to do the math and figure out like, what do they really want? What are the biggest expenses going to be in the next 20 to 40 to whatever years of their life? It's like the math of it probably isn't that hard, but like the emotion of it is probably what's harder to keep in check. And like, actually sticking to your goal. Like, I think everybody probably has aspirations of coming up with that number, but like when you get into it, as any entrepreneur knows, like there's something almost kind of addictive about it. I don't know if that's the right word, but no, I, I think that's a, a great word, man. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I've been talking to Asiya, my wife, and I've been kind of feeling some of that. I miss the excitement of the simple wholesaling days sometimes where it's like <laughs> literally every single month, was either going to be the best month ever or the worst month ever. Like there were so many months where it was like to the last day of the month, we were going to see if we were going to make it or break it. That would be a living hell for me. <laughs> I, I would not enjoy that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so intense, but man, is it a rush. 
I mean, there there is an addictive aspect to it where it's like, I'm sure if we got Tyler Hazel on here, who was the head of acquisitions at Simple Wholesaling at the time that I was the head of dispositions, like he will 100% affirm what I'm saying. There's an aspect of it that's intoxicating. When you were asking me in the last episode about what would be so bad about going back to a job, you know, I think maybe that's part of it is like, it just seems so monotonous. Like when you've seen the other side or seen what can be like, you know, closing a deal that makes you 40, 50,000 bucks in one shot. I mean, contrasting that with like, yep, another paycheck of a couple <laughs> yeah. thousand bucks. Like it's just, it's so boring. Yeah. There's definitely, it's thrilling when you figure out how to make money. So, I mean, again, to play devil's advocate a little bit, I am definitely somebody who never wants to retire ever. Yeah. Like I think that I think I getting to a point where you have enough money where I can just sit around and watch TV all day. Like that does that lifestyle just does not appeal to me. I would much rather when it's my time to be taken out, like I want to be on a stage or on a mission trip or like, you know, doing something significant with my time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just like get old and watch TV until I die. Like that's so repulsive to me. And so like, how do you figure this thing out? Because it is a question that I ask myself a lot. Like, okay, if I ha loosely have an idea of like, I want to own X amount of rental units that should generate, you know, this range of cash flow every month for us to live off of or to go and not only live off of, but to like give wealth away or, you know, use for impact purposes or whatever. Once I'm there, like, how am I going to be able to walk from it? And what am I going to be walking towards? You know, like, do you think that it's wise for entrepreneurs to early on in their their entrepreneurial pursuits to really lay this out and really have like a meeting with themselves and be like, all right, when you reach $20,000 a month, no, under any circumstances, we're walking away and we're doing something different. Or like, do you think that it's okay to just be like, hey, I'm at 20, I want to go to 50, I want to go to 100. And like, how do you know when you need to stop versus when it's okay to keep going? I guess it sort of depends on like what drives you. Like if you can answer the question, why do you do what you do? It's a very open-ended question, but like, I don't know, like everybody has something that motivates them, something, some underlying reason that they're doing anything that they're doing right now. I think it also helps to be honest about that. I think sometimes people almost like tell themselves lies or they come up with reasons that sound good on the surface, but really like there's something <laughs> like going back to breaking bed. He spends, you know, all five seasons talking about how I'm doing this for my family. I want to be able to provide for my family. And uh, in the process, totally destroys his family. I mean, everything just goes kaput. Like in the last episode, one of the last scenes, he's talking with his estranged wife. And she's like, don't tell me one more time that you did this for the family. And he says, you know, I didn't do this for the family. I did this for me because I was good at it. It's one of those things like if he had been honest with that all along, I don't know. I don't know if that would have changed his direction or just if it would have helped him to uh, have more clarity about his motivations for everything. But it took him till the end, to be honest about it, in that fictional story. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really solid, man. Because something that I really tried to do, like I've said, I think when you interviewed me, something that I brought up for good or for worse, my personality is achievement oriented. I draw my sense of fulfillment from what I accomplish. And I can use that as a superpower, but that also is like my biggest weakness in my Achilles heel and who I am as a person. 
if you negatively attack that sense of my security being wrapped up in what I do, like that is a huge character flaw. But it's also what what gets me to do things that other people aren't willing to do. It's what drives me and you know, it, it is what fuels my success. So I think that it's like, you know, it's being honest with yourself and just being okay with flaws and all, you know, what you have in your DNA. Honesty is the first step to be able to capitalize on it because you can, you know, set up things to protect you from the worst parts of the manifestation of how you are. And then you can capitalize on the good parts and double down on it. Yeah, this actually reminds me of a, uh, there was an article I wrote for Inc. this past year that kind of talks directly about a lot of this stuff. Maybe I can play the narrator again and read some of this for you. Because actually, I spent a lot of time trying to like organize my thoughts when I put this together. So if I just read it, it'll probably come out better. And by the way, I'll link to this in the show notes. This is retipster.com forward slash 69, I think. So... But the article is called The Surprising Truth About Success and What It Means for You. So every time I hear somebody talking about what it takes to be successful, with air quotes, I cringe. Success is one of those catch-all words people use to describe everything good in life. But the problem is that it's impossible for everybody to agree on what success really means. So Merriam-Webster gave it a shot. And they came up with the definition of the attainment of wealth, favor, or eminence. So like, what do you think? Is it fair to sum up every successful person based on their wealth, favor, or eminence? Problem with that definition, I think, or any definition of success is that success is very subjective. Not every successful person sets out to attain wealth, favor, or eminence. Some folks are looking for things like freedom or spiritual enlightenment or self-discipline or relationships with great people. You know, there's different ways to measure when a person has found success. And ultimately, success has to be defined by you. This next section starts with, uh, are you climbing the wrong ladder? So in the entrepreneurial world, a lot of people go into business for themselves because they're looking for freedom from a boss freedom from the nine to five, or the ability to live life on their terms. But many successful entrepreneurs will inevitably start following Merriam-Webster's definition of success instead of their own. So they start going after the money, the house, the car, things like that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. But uh, I've found that most entrepreneurs want to be remembered by more than just wealth and fame. Like that's not really what it all boils down to. Yet somehow that's the path they end up on. And eventually, I think we realize like it doesn't take us where we want to go. It's like spending years climbing up a ladder only to look down and realize the ladder was leaning up against the wrong wall. So why do so many people end up chasing after achievements that don't make them happy? And I believe it happens because when an entrepreneur never intentionally sets their own definition of what success looks like. And the article goes on and on from there. But kind of what we were saying, I mean, it is really important to like really think this through, like what matters to you? And uh, sometimes that, you know, you have to ask yourself some tough questions and challenge your assumptions and, and also acknowledge that there's, there's a lot of beliefs that are infused into our heads from a very early age that are not correct or not healthy. They're not going to bring us to where we want to go. 
I feel like the older I get, the more and more I realize that kind of stuff, like things I've just always thought that aren't right, you know, and it's, it's important to be able to take a step back and like challenge what you thought you've known all along. Yeah. That's super deep, man. I think I'm actually going to, uh, take on a homework assignment for myself because I am seeing the significance of this conversation. I'm going to take some time and define really quantify what success looks like from a dollar perspective, like how much money should I be making every month from real estate? But more importantly, like what are the things that I truly define as success? Because for me, success looks a lot more like being faithful to self-discipline than anything else. Like even if I didn't ever accomplish the financial numbers that I want, like being the kind of person who is in shape, that's something that I've personally struggled with a lot in my life and continue to do so, unfortunately, is like, you know, I want to be a lot uh, healthier and a lot more fit than I am currently. And uh, I want to be able to be a kind of person that works out every day or at least five, six times a week. And I want to be somebody who has spiritual disciplines and is faithful to them and has the ability to govern oneself, as it were. And other people might not care about that stuff. You know, but that's the kind of stuff for me that I really just need to get honest with. And and I love what you said about honesty. And I really want to reemphasize that because like, it's okay if it looks ugly. Like if your motivation is greed, start with it being that your motivation is greed and own it. There's pros and cons to that. And you're going to have to explore that. But if that's honestly, you just want to make a buttload of money, start there and be like, okay, I just want to make a buttload of money. Why do I want to make a buttload of money? And then go from there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the five whys exercise. Like whatever your answer is, ask yourself why again. And whatever your answer is to that, ask yourself why again. Why do you need a million dollars? Why do you want to make a buttload of money? Why the answer to that? And again and again, eventually you'll probably drill down to what actually matters and what's really going on beneath the surface. So in that article, actually, uh, I came up with a few questions that people might want to just think about if they're, if they're not sure what they really value I'll just proceed to read these questions exactly as they're written in the article here. So the first time I tried this, I found it was surprisingly difficult to think outside the established norms of seeking wealth, status, and admiration from others. So if you're struggling to come up with your own unique definition of success, try asking yourself some of these questions. So when in your life have you felt genuinely happy? Who were you with? What were you doing? What circumstances led to your happiness? What would it take for you to recreate those moments? That's one thing to think about. And then when was the last time you felt content, satisfied, and fulfilled? If ever, assuming you even know what that feels like. Uh, What made you feel this way? Uh, Which of your needs, wants, and desires were being met in that moment? And then what do you value most in life? Come up with a short list of things that matter most to you. Which items on this list matter more than the others? Put the items in order of priority and be honest with yourself again as you do this. And whatever your answers are, you'll probably find there's a lot more to the story than just money, power, and influence as it's defined in the dictionary. When you know what's going on beneath the surface, you'll be able to develop a better understanding of your values and your own definition of success, whatever that is. This is really good, man. I think that if for the listeners out there, if you take this as a challenge and you sit down and you really go through these questions and 
you get clear answers on these, I think it's going to really help you navigate through the waters of, of becoming financially uh, independent. Because real estate, if you employ what we teach at RE Tipster and you know what the guests say here, eventually you are going to start making really good money. And money is an amplifier. If you have insecurities or you got issues in your heart right now, uh, when you throw money at it, it's just going to get 5,000 times louder. Um, but if you got this stuff worked out on the get-go, then when you throw money at it, then you're just going to be able to amplify really good stuff that the world needs. Yeah, totally. I think that, I think it was Will Smith who said, money doesn't change people. It just amplifies what's already there. <laughs> nice. I didn't know he said that. That's awesome. Well, probably several people have said that and somehow it got attributed to Will Smith. <laughs> I think it's true though. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. So anything else we want to explore about this topic? I don't know, man. I think we, we kind of hit it right on the head. I think that it's just something to think about. I don't think we have a very uh, clear answer to the question because I don't know. It might be the right decision for this fisherman to scale because then all of a sudden he can not only provide for his immediate family, maybe he can provide jobs for his entire village. And some people are called to do that stuff. And that's important. Creating jobs is really, really important. But you just really need to know why. If your goal is to provide for your family and fish a little bit in the morning and have a drink with your buddies at night and you're already doing that, well, then why reinvent the wheel? Money's not going to change that. It is interesting. I, I know and this is sort of veering down a different road in the conversation, but I know plenty of people in my life who straight up believe that the attainment of wealth, like to be rich, I guess, for lack of a better term, is wrong. There's something wrong with that. When somebody has excessive wealth or they're in the dreaded 1%, so to speak, in some way, those people are like corrupt or somehow they got there from bad motives or taking advantage of people. This is a huge thing in a lot of different online realms where people charge money for courses. For some reason, that gets pigeonholed as like, those people are bad because they're charging a lot of money for a course. Which, I mean, the whole conversation is just nuts. I mean, all kinds of crazy assumptions wrapped into that. But a lot of times, like, people won't necessarily come out and say, I think it's wrong. But, like, that's really what they're getting at. I mean, that's the underlying assumption behind everything, all their beliefs about people who are wealthy. The funny thing about that, I was listening to Jordan Peterson one time talking about this. I think he was being interviewed on maybe Joe Rogan or something. But anyway... They were talking about this whole issue of being in the 1%, you know, the 1% richest people in America. But he said, it's actually interesting. If you make more than $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world. Like, why is it that being in the 1% of America somehow makes you bad, but the 1% of the world is okay? Because <laughs> like most people make over 32 grand a year. I thought it was just an interesting point in terms of how people define good or bad or acceptable versus unacceptable. I think that book, Thou Shall Prosper by Daniel Lappin has a ton to say about that whole subject. And, like, and one of the things that he gets at is he's sort of talking about how a lot of entrepreneurs, like say if they give a lot of money to a local nonprofit and they are on the news because of it, the news will say something like, local businessman gives back to the community, ignoring the fact that like, you already gave back to the community in a huge way by employing tons and tons of people and giving people a livelihood. Like, how is that not giving back? But when you actually give cash to somebody, then you've officially started to do a good thing. 
I thought that was a really good point. I had never even thought of it that way, but like, it's totally true. That book really changed my life because of this topic. Um, kind of growing up as a troubled kid and then kind of getting into what I call the missionary mentality. There was a lot that I almost like glorified poverty. Like I grew up in a upper middle class family, but for whatever reason, I associated with like drug addicts and like I legitimately as crazy as this is probably going to sound for the, the audience members. As a kid, my aspiration was to be like nomadic, like I wanted to be homeless. And my mom used to actually drop me off in Santa Cruz, California. And I used to go hang out with a bunch of homeless people. And I actually had a guy tell me that, hey, as long as you graduate high school, you can come out here on the streets and I'll teach you how to be homeless and how to survive. And like, that was like legitimately the direction that I was wanting to go with my life. So I really had this like anti-rich, anti-wealth thing, like all the problems in the world are related to money and all this stuff. But that book, like just sold it. Like it just settled it in my heart that no, no, no. Like you can do far better for the world. If you can create jobs and you have money, the more money you have, the better you can make an impact on the world for the positive. And my wife really taught me that too, because growing up in real poverty, you talk to anybody that grew up in real poverty, they say, no, no, no. Money is an amazing thing. Money is a very, 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 very good thing because money means food. <laughs> money is a good thing. I really encourage everybody. That's why I always list it as one of my most recommended books. There were a bunch of uh, things he said in that book that I had to like stop the audiobook and write it down because it was just like so impactful. <laughs> one of the things he said was that most of the good things that you are is a reason to blow other people's horns rather than your own. It's really true. Like any good attribute of myself is either like nature or nurture. Like I was born with it because of who my parents are and who their parents were, or somebody taught me to do the good thing that I do. I just emulated what they did. It's almost kind of like the question of, is there even such thing as real true creativity or is everything just a reiterated version of what somebody else has done? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I thought that was a, uh, sometimes it's very easy to, glorify oneself and think of like, wow, I'm an amazing person. Look at this awesome thing I did for the world. Yeah. Especially if you look like Seth. Yeah. I know it's, <laughs> it's very easy. <laughs> like I said, but uh good book. Obviously Jaren has talked about it a lot. I've talked about it a little bit, but if you ever want a good audio book or a book to read, go check it out. Cool. Well, I think that's all I've got to say on the subject. You Jaren, you got anything else? No, I think that's it. And uh, I hope you guys are enjoying us uh, switching up the format a little bit here. I know that these uh, last couple episodes have been a little different and I think we're going to be continuing down the same vein. I think, you know, moving forward, we'll touch back on more real estate specific topics and things of that sort. But I think we're going to mix up interviews and, uh, and then just having it be me and Seth to explore a topic. So if you guys have any topic ideas that you'd like me and Seth to explore, reach out to uh, to one of us, maybe drop it in. Maybe we can, I don't know, do it in Facebook. Or if you have a, want to reach out to me, Jaren at retipster.com. J-A-R-E-N. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Not Jared, but Jaren with an N. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or Darren with like everyone. My name is, it's funny. I have to be very articulate when I say Jaren. Because some people think I say Sharon, like I'm a girl. 
terrible. I've been present several times when people have called you Jared, which is, uh, I mean, I guess Jaren is an unusual name, I guess. I haven't known many Jarens, so I sort of get it, but still, it's like, come on, man, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, if you enjoyed this episode, or even if you didn't, uh, if you want to uh, follow along with what we've got coming up next, you can do so from your phone if you text the word FREE, F-R-E-E, to the number 33777. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Hope everybody's doing okay out there in the world. And uh, if you want to check out the show notes from this episode, again, that's retipster.com forward slash six nine. We'll talk to you guys next time. Later, guys. Thanks for listening to the RE Tipster podcast. For a full summary of this episode, stocked with links, show notes, and a lot more, check out the podcast archive page at retipster.com forward slash podcast.